0: Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from the Church Mission Society. I'm Trevor Smith. This month our occasional series on the five marks of mission continues with the longest of the marks to transform unjust structures of society, to challenge violence of every kind and pursue peace and reconciliation. Violence of every kind has been experienced far too often in too many places recently, and not least in Burundi, where Mission Associate Simon Gilbo is based with his organisation Great Lakes Outreach. CMS's Sarah Holmes met up with Simon at the Africa Conference in the autumn and found out more about the situation, the peace and reconciliation work of Simon's colleagues, and also about Simon's family history.
1: My great-grandparents went out, I think, in about 1925. Uh, my great-grandfather's buried in Burundi. He started translating the Bible. He did two books, I think, then his daughter, Rosemary. So my great-aunt translated the, the whole of the Kurindi Bible. So wherever I go in Burundi, I'm introduced to the family that brought the Bible. Three of those six siblings translated the, the Bible into different tongues. Uh, my grandfather in Kinyarwanda my other great-aunt in uh, Bari in Sudan. And then... Uh, so Granny and Grandpa spent most of the time in Rwanda Granny is buried in Rwanda in the north of Rwanda and then uh, Auntie Meg who's still going uh, semi-strong she's she's recently had to retire or has retired from working in the north of Rwanda in Byumba doing pasta training she did a fantastic job so I guess I'm fourth generation and what with my kids now they'd be fifth generation in Burundi
2: And tell me what you're doing in Burundi
1: Well uh, I I founded a group called Great Lakes Outreach in 2003, but essentially I, I still work under the auspices of Script Union out there. So, in Great Lakes Outreach, we work with nine local organisations. So, my vision was progressively more refined to just getting behind the best local Burinians of passion, integrity, gifting, and vision and empowering them to see the transformation of the nation. So, we work, we've built a few orphanages, uh, a few schools, uh, Muslim outreach, campus outreach, evangelism explosion. Um, Street Kids project, we've built uh, a conference centre as a social enterprise to generate funds back into pastor training, youth camps, outreach, uh, cow projects, so it's extremely varied and uh, an indigenous missionary movement we work with the relatively unreached people group, the the Batois, the Pygmies out there, and theological training, and an international church, so that's all the stuff that we've sort of spawned and been a part of catalyzing and it's been very exciting.
2: And your Great Lakes outreach mission does continue in Burundi of course.
1: Yeah so it's completely um, running as normal and I can do as much good over here because I'm preaching around the country at weekends and during the week so it it flies and uh, I'm very proud of that in the sense that you know the the aim was to get behind amazing people and just empower them to do it and they are doing it. In fact we started a thing called Christian Initiatives for Peace in the Crisis because largely the church was you know Christians very scared staying behind closed doors and in 1993 when the crisis kicked in there was a a tract that was published saying where did the people of God go uh, it's almost like the church did not assume its role in 1993 when the war kicked in so we were determined as a group of key leaders in the country that we wouldn't have that accusation leveled at us this time so we formed this uh, parachurch, well basic GLOW and extended partners a group of, of key leaders uh, using the media uh, so radio, TV broadcasting messages of non-violence getting church networks, pastors together getting youth both political non-Christian youth and Christian youth uh, tracks and we've just they've had a fantastic role in a sort of um, preaching non-violence and, uh, and, and you know constructive dialogue and that sort of thing at a time when the church has been a bit confused and silent
2: the violence or the chaos however you want to describe it is in Bujumbura or is it all around the country of Burundi
1: it's mainly concentrated in four quartiers four little suburbs of there's sporadic violence uh, in different parts of the country, but most of the, of the country is, is peaceful. And, uh, you know, Burundi is not in a good state, but if you just read Twitter and, uh, you know, news feeds, you'd, you'd think of it being in a more sort of cataclysmic state than it is. You know, most people are just trying to get on with their lives right now with an economy which is pretty much imploded. So it's in a very precarious state, but... In the capital, you know, listening to shooting, you, you almost don't be be annihilated now. It's very, very normal to hear that. But it's more targeted assassinations and there's there'll be a spike, no doubt, in armed robberies because there's lots of weapons about and, uh, yeah, no money. You know, NGOs are leaving. Today, the Belgians announced uh, a freeze of 60 million euros of their aid. So it's it's just disastrous.
2: Do you think the world has forgotten about Burundi?
1: Um, well, it's just, it's not the biggest issue, you know, on the on the, on the world's agenda in terms of the refugee crisis and, uh, um, you know, there are groups dedicated to it, but Burundi doesn't have any geopolitical significance unless it, it does lead, which some people fear, to the sort of implosion of the Grey Lakes region in general. But I think largely it's, it's just, it, it's sort of petering on uh, and therefore you can't keep it on the news headlines because... You know, two people getting killed in a grenade attack isn't big enough for world news.
2: What is it about Burundi that, obviously, it's it's in your blood? What captivates you?
1: Well, I've, I mean, I've got Burundian nationality now, which which Burundians absolutely love to hear, and uh, in a sense, well, they love it because it's it's so unusual because everyone's trying to become not Burundian and leave the country. But you know, that's a God-given love and passion. I I live and bleed and breathe Burundi, and. Uh, you know, I even think with other workers out there, missionaries and stuff, you know, I get so weighed down and feeling, you know, the empathy of the pain of what's going on. And I I think a lot of people just, just don't engage. You know, my wife would say, herself included, they just don't engage at that level of the pain of the suffering what's going on. But that's, and as she says, she's right, you know, that is part of your call, Simon. You know, Burundi is, is what I'm all about, for Jesus' sake.
0: Pray for those hundreds of Simon's friends and colleagues who don't have enough food or money for medical needs. And of course, pray too for a long-lasting peaceful resolution to the country's disputes. Now to India. Here, there has been strong political pressure to tighten restrictions on Christian workers, so these interviewees remain anonymous. But their work is very much about standing with those who find themselves on the bottom of what our Mark of mission calls society's unjust structures. But how does transformation truly happen? Jeremy Woodham asked the question.
3: You have wrote a really nice sentence in one of your letters, um, back to us saying being here is teaching us again and again that people need food, clothing and shelter. But it is Jesus who brings about the process of transformation. And um, I really like that. And I wonder if you're able to sort of share a story, a personal story behind that of maybe that illustrates Mm. that.
4: Um, I can think of one lady who we work with. She's from a very poor background. She lives in the slum with her children and she came to know jesus and well before she came to know jesus um she used to come to our center and she was very emotional she used to cry a lot and the um the staff shared to her about god and yeah and she began to know about the bible and the stories there and came to know about jesus and soon she became his follower and she was she and her children were baptized and and I think that has made a big difference for her and um it hasn't made a big difference in terms of um financially in a way she still lives in the slum and she looks after her three children but she um is from a very difficult background as she left her husband, husband who is very abusive and she still lives in and and he's an abusive alcoholic and he um she still lives in fear of him as well although she's left him um and she struggles uh, in many other ways but she said that she takes strength for the day that she can survive through the day if not for another week or the month if she looks ahead there's too much but just um taking one day as it comes and I definitely feel that's because of her faith as well that she feels that God can support her and she's got enough trust and enough faith maybe not you know just looking ahead but as it says in the bible you know do not worry about tomorrow because today has enough troubles of its own but so i think you know jesus has transformed her life in a way she's a much freer woman now an empowered woman and you, the world may not see it this way that they might just see her as a woman in the slum with lots of children but that's not how god sees her and that's not how she sees herself
3: you've been working with a, a local christian NGO in housing, providing housing for some really poor people mm-hmm. in in the last few years, you've moved on to uh, volunteer with the leprosy Mission Trust India. Yeah. I wonder in both of those they're organizations that are doing good in inverted commas, providing for the needs of people, very much inspired by Christian faith, yeah. doing it in the name of Jesus. What difference do you see that making in that work as opposed to, say, purely secular organisations? I
5: think the, the most obvious difference is that they these organisations were formed in the first place. And they both come from a very strong Christian root. Uh, one was formed from, from a Bible study in the mid-1970s in America. One was formed uh, way back in uh, the 1870s, an Irish missionary who saw the plight of leprosy patients in India and was just called and moved to do something about it so I honestly believe that without that Christian faith and motivation that work would never have started
4: and I think it's a vocation of the staff as well isn't it that yeah. they're not there because they want a good high-paying job they're there because it's their vocation
5: exactly yeah, yeah. I, I met a, I met a superintendent at a hospital and I was so inspired by him because he was obviously a tremendously intelligent man. He was a surgeon, the superintendent of a large hospital. He could have worked anywhere within India or even abroad. He was a very skilled man and he He told me with such uh, openness and such honesty that you know that the satisfaction of seeing leprosy patients treated and cured was the reason why he did his work. Huge satisfaction from that, and his mm-hmm. Christian faith was absolutely evident for all to see. And, you know, possibly without his Christian faith he would have never, you know, had the motivation and the courage and the strength to continue working in very difficult circumstances. So it makes a tremendous difference.
3: And you were able to see some
5: of his handiwork I think. Yeah, literally his handiwork because it was that it showed me the hand of a, a young man who had been disfigured by leprosy. And uh for me as a non medic I was you know, the hand looked perfectly normal to me. But it had been severely uh, disfigured and twisted because of uh, leprosy. But uh, the skill of the surgeon had had treated it, and now this young man, uh, along with the the treatment that he'd had, would be able to leave the hospital and um, hopefully lead a normal life.
0: Please pray for these mission partners as they continue to work with those left on the bottom of society in India, including campaigning to change laws which are still in place from colonial times and which discriminate against people with leprosy. Last month we heard from mission partner Mari Bryce, translated by husband Ed, about her ministry among local women in northern Argentina. Now we're here from Ed, speaking in his role as chaplain to the Associana team. Associana is the social action arm of the Anglican Church and its six staff walk alongside indigenous people in their fight for land and health rights. Jeremy Woodham asked him first about Cristina Vargas, also a CMS Latin partner who supports witchy people navigating the Spanish language healthcare system in the city of Salta. She had recently had a lot of time off with her own health problems. Christina, we haven't seen her for a long time, basically because of those health problems, but we
6: understand she's now back at work, not a day too soon as far as the Indian people are concerned, because her role is, is so fundamental. People coming from hundreds of miles away who haven't got a clue what what the city's like or what what to do when they arrive there and Christina is just a godsend, is an angel for them to show them around, take them to the place they need to go, arrange the appointments. So you a a very, very important ministry and highly appreciated by the witchy people. Two of them live in the same town as we do, so we know them especially well, uh, and we work very closely with them because they're both members of our local church. And they are in contact with probably, I don't know, 15, 20 different communities spread out over a wide area, some who already have their own land, in which case they're often helping them uh, in dealing with uh, government officials or, or, or programmes that the government might offer that they can take advantage of, and others that don't have any land but are living on land which other people claim to be theirs and are in the have the intention of using for producing soya beans, as, as often are not, or, or some other arable crop, but it, it, it would involve massive deforestation. And so Claudia and Zacharias, the members of our congregation involved in that part of the team, are particularly trying to defend the rights of these or encourage the Indians in the defence of their rights. There's a, a lawyer on, who works with the team as well, is continually pressuring the government to respect the laws which actually give the Indians right to their land. But Zacharias and Claudia have a very difficult job because that part of the Salta province where they're working, the deforestation just seems to go on almost uninhibited, uh, or at least it did until last year. And there's been a moratorium on land clearing. But we, we pray that it will be not just a moratorium on land clearing, but it will be a, a step to resolving the land issues because the danger is the government will say, yes, you can do some more land clearing and the uh, and maybe the Indians are... Are allowed to stay where they are, but the issue, the underlying issue of um, ownership of the land, is never resolved, and it's a problem for the future. So that's part of the team. The other team, uh, the other two members of, or another two members of the team, live in a different area. Susanna um, is somebody who, again, has been greatly helped by Mary in in her walk with Christ, and she's involved in setting up a radio station to try and communicate some of these important messages to the uh, Wichi communities in the area. And her colleague, Jose, works very closely with an, an, uh, an Indian NGO in, in, a, in a massive land rights programme, which is in a, a very encouraging and uh, exciting phase of its development, really as a result of the long and arduous struggle that the members of Asociano have, have had. And as a result of the involvement of the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, which is pressuring the Argentine government to, to give the, the land rights to these people.
3: So uh, the radio station, that sounds interesting, just being set up? Or has yeah, been- yes,
6: they're... they're it's just being set up. They're, they're still, they've got money for certain bits and they need money for other bits. So it's, uh, you know, in the process of...
3: And what kind of things, you're saying, you know, important messages for the people, what what sort of things will they well, be?
6: Well, the the communities who are going to benefit from this land, once it is uh, handed over to them, need to be informed quickly of the developments. For example, the, the government is encouraging the the, the non Indians who are living on the land to move to one particular area so that the Indians have freedom of movement in the other areas, so that it's important that the people know what the government has decided and what is going to be carried out and and as well as other basic um, issues to do with their uh, what what their uh, their rights are or what different programs are on offer and that kind of thing so it will be there will be a Christian input as well because Many of the leaders in the non-government organisation, the Indian non-government organisation, are also important church leaders, not only in the Anglican Church, but also in the uh, Assemblies of God Church, which uh, overlaps with the Anglican Church in many of the Indian communities uh, and, and with whom there are excellent relationships.
0: Ed Bryce with news of the Asociana team in northern Argentina. Let's pray for them all, and particularly for that new radio station project to get fully off the ground and, well into the air. Often, as we are faced with big structural injustices of society, we are tempted to despair. But for Karabia Njogu of CMS Africa, whom we also interviewed last month, it's vital not to look down on small actions that can bring real hope.
7: I'll talk Christians in the UK not to not despise, but not to think lightly of what Jesus said, ex- giving that cup of cold water to a stranger, to an immigrant, to somebody who's not like you, to somebody of another race, to a neighbor, somebody you don't know. When you do that, it opens amazing channels. It just starts a relationship through which that other person can see your life. And it begins a discussion or a journey towards pointing them to the cross of Christ for their healing, for their for hope. Don't look down on an act of kindness, of service, of love. We've talked a lot about love in the Christian faith for years, but the only way to demonstrate love we have for people is to serve them. Small acts, don't despise that. When you, serve, when you seek to serve people, which is helping them depending on what their need is, when you seek to serve people, it opens amazing channels for the gospel.
0: Carol Njogo of CMS Africa bringing this month's audio mission to a close. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for your prayers. We look forward to welcoming you next month to another edition of Audio Mission and hearing more voices from the Church Mission Society in action around the world.